Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We all all share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. The snow is melting, the roads are getting muddier, and amphibians are on the move. Spring is here. Um, I'm your host, Colin Durant, and in this episode, we're going to speak with University of Maine graduate student Greg LeClaire about his research uh, on amphibians, and in particular, the danger roads pose for them. Greg received a 2022 Brookie Award from NRCM for his leadership in mobilizing Mainers around amphibians, and in particular, this volunteer community science projects he's been organizing every year around this time called Maine Big Night. Uh, it's received a lot of attention, a lot of interest. So, Greg, welcome to the Frontline Voices podcast. Colin, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, let's just start by setting the scene for people. When we say amphibians, what sort of animals are we talking about here in Maine? And what are amphibians doing in nature this time of year? Yeah, so in Maine, we're talking about frogs and salamanders. And right now, they're doing either one of two things. They're either still hanging out under the snow, waiting for things to melt, or they're starting to move, which some have already started doing as of, I think it was last Thursday, they're starting to move to their breeding areas. And so I, you know, I'm curious, like, you know, we do a lot of work with salmon and they, you know, they do this powerful journey up the rivers to the street. Like they have this memory of the streams. Is it the same with amphibians? Like as they're crossing roads, do, do they have that in their memory? Are they, are they, um, or, or, is the journey sort of change every time? That's a great question. And one that I'm not sure that we have a really good answer to. There's a lot of debate about how amphibians are navigating the world because some of them are moving essentially the equivalent of about 400 miles. Like if we were to put it like in our size or the size of like a caribou or something. So it's a long distance. um, And there's debate as to whether it has anything to do with like recognition of natural features or maybe they can like somehow smell these pools or maybe Mm -hmm. it has something to do with what pools they were born in but um the long answer is we don't really know (laughs) so perhaps some do and perhaps some don't gotcha and and you're talking about pools are they heading like exclusively to like vernal pools or is it all sorts of sort of breeding habitat types yeah, it's it's it could be just about any type of wetland. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, the most popular or, or preferred that we like to see are vernal pools, just because they're this really special habitat type. Mm-hmm. And remind me, vernal pools are like a temporary pool, right? That you get in the spring. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So they fill right, up with cool. water in the springtime, and usually are dry by like the end of summer, early fall. And it's that temporariness that makes it so special because even some other amphibians can't use that. But of course, things like fish can't, right? Because it's dry half the year. Right. Right. Cool. Well, what's one fact? What's a you do a ton of research into amphibians? What's one? Uh, and you've like dedicated your life to them, right? What's <laughs> one amazing fact about amphibians you think people should know? Uh, there are so many, and I, I've, I've thought so long about like what is the top thing that I want people to know about amphibians. And I, I can give you some like fun facts, but I think the the one thing I want people to walk away from this podcast knowing is that amphibians are the most threatened vertebrate group on the planet. More mm-hmm. of them are endangered than, but proportionally speaking, than birds or mammals or reptiles or fish. So they need our help more than these other groups, certainly. But if you want a fun fact, I think it would be that wood frogs can freeze about 80% solid. Their heart pretty much Whoa. stops. 
Um, and they can do that by essentially filling their cells with urine. And it's just an amazing superpower that lets them be the northernmost amphibian in the world. They're the only amphibian that can be found north of the Arctic Circle. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Do you do you have a favorite amphibian? That's probably ask, like asking a parent if they have a favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that is another really hard question to answer. But I mean, if I had to pick one, it would have to be the one that really started all of this for me. And it's also a, a real crowd favorite. It's the spotted salamander, which yeah. for the listeners who haven't seen one before, this is like a six inch long, all black salamander with bright yellow spots. It's just so like charismatic. So neat. Mm. I just have these memories of like running around the woods as a kid up to like turning over logs, trying to find salamanders. Oh yeah. I had this like one trusty spotted salamander log when I was a kid and I'd visit that all the oh, time. Oh, nice. Nice. I did that actually a couple of years ago with my daughter and like we couldn't find them. I'm like, they're there somewhere, I swear. <laughs> um, maybe we need to go out with you sometime. But so as I mentioned before, you've dedicated your professional career. Um, sounds like a lot of your personal time looking into specifically amphibians, but specifically looking into road crossing amphibians, this road crossing that amphibians do in Maine. This started as an interest when you were a student at Unity College. Now you're doing graduate work, I think, towards a doctorate, correct, at the University of Maine. Um, we'll talk more about the specifics in a second, but like, you just talked about the spotted, spotted salamander, but I'm curious what sparked this interest for you. It's, I think I read somewhere, it was like, you know, as we were just talking, it was just like as a kid, sort of, you know, trying to find these salamanders or going out and... Yeah, yeah. So where I think it began for me was probably when I was about seven years old, I encountered a spotted salamander in my family's driveway. It was like a warm, mm. rainy night in April. And that was my first time ever seeing one. So uh, this this kid that encountered that spotted salamander already knew he wanted to be a wildlife biologist. So like nice. that first encounter was like enough to be like, okay, this like species, this group of animals is really cool. And so making that connection that warm rainy nights in spring means spotted salamanders in my driveway, I would go out on those similar nights to look for them and then realize that I could also look on, you know, my neighborhood road, not just my driveway. And yeah. over time, you know, found more and more, but also quickly found that many of them were being hit by cars and mm -hmm. carried that like annual tradition with me all the way through high school, college, and then as you mentioned in college, that's where I, I started doing these like organized big night events. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dig into that a little bit more, like dig into a little bit about your research, why you believe it's so important to focus. Like I said, you've dedicated your research on road crossings for amphibians in Maine. Just dig into that a little for people. Yeah, so, uh, and I want to specify too, this isn't even part of my dissertation research. This is entirely separate from what I studied uh, for my PhD, but mm. this is a, a really big part of my life regardless, where we study essentially how traffic is affecting things like amphibians uh, as well as other wildlife species i mean a lot of what we learn about uh from this project is applicable to other wildlife as well but i mean we've dug into anything how uh the covid 19 pandemic affected road crossing amphibians to uh, now we're digging into what influences like these mortality hotspots trying to like almost map out any places we might not know yet so we're digging into a lot of these really uh variable things like uh, creating this a like, comprehensive picture of what is referred to now as like road ecology like what are all the different moving pieces affecting how wildlife is interacting with the road no um, that's great and i think what you know one of the more inspiring parts of your work 
we've re referenced several times is main big night. This is this community service project you founded and now organized to collect data and research on road crossing amphibians. Give us, so what is main big night? Yeah, Maine Big Night is a community science project, and it is the only statewide Big Night project, I believe, out there. Um, I think it even has a larger geographic coverage than probably any other Big Night project out there. But uh, basically, we are focused on not only helping amphibians cross roads, but collecting data on where these road crossings are happen, uh, happening and how major are they? Are th is there a lot of mortality going on? Where are the rare species? And using that data to dictate um, infrastructure management, essentially. Mm, cool. And I, I understand you've engaged more than 400 volunteers, I think, monitored 200 survey sites statewide as part of this work. Just talk a little bit about kind of the broad range of volunteers you see that help out and why that work's so important. Uh, it's so cool because, again, being a community science project, this is for everybody. It's not just for scientists. It's not just for students. You can be three years old. You can be 99 years old. And I, I've worked with, seriously, like that age range, that gamut. Mm -hmm. I mean, my daughter has been participating since she was one or two years old. Um, but it, the cool part is, is we can pull in so many people that aren't scientists that can give us new perspectives, bring us new skills. Mm. So like, for example, bringing in graphic designers, they like, we have a graphic designer that created our logo and like other pieces or like a wildlife artist that made our, uh, wildlife ID, um, our amphibian ID cards. Um, just so many like different skills that help make this project better. That is like the real benefit, I think, to have a, having a, a community science project. Community driven. That's so great. Yeah. Um, of course, Maine Big Night is is happening like right now, right? You yeah. were just talking about it. It kicks off with the first migrations I think you were saying are happening and runs through April. So can you just talk about so why it's happening right now? You said, you know, or how long it, it happens and then how how people can get involved. Yeah, so it's going to be happening anytime we get a rainy night with temperatures at about 45 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's like that's kind of a rough line. Sometimes we can get some movements in the low 40s, even all the way down to about freezing. But uh, if you have had significant snow melt in your woods near you and you've got a rainy night and it's warm, I would be out there looking. So it's going to be probably extending through like mid-May. That's usually when we tend to cut things off uh, as far as data collection goes. Uh, but I mean, the northern end of the state, you could be seeing movements probably into early June. Uh, we've had our first movement as of a week ago. That was, I think, March 23rd or 24th. And we're mm. about to have our next movement, it looks like, on April 1st, Saturday night. And is it as simple? I'll share the like website and the Facebook group. There's a Facebook group. Is it as simple as like going out there and then sharing what people learned with you via like email or, or Facebook? I mean, it's essentially that simple. There's yeah. a, a very simple certification process that we use to ensure gotcha. that our data collection is the quality that we need in order to like dictate where a multi-million dollar tunnel might go. Yeah. Um, so it's like a, a quick like self-led training and you take a little quiz and you can like retake the quiz however many times you want. It's an open notes quiz. It'll like make sure you know how to identify things and how to be safe and whatnot. And then you just sign a waiver then you adopt whatever site you want to go survey and you get out there and survey it whenever you can. Very cool. Um, well, I, I think it's also really neat. You sort of you alluded to this earlier, but like, I think one of the cooler things about the research is that you worked really hard to put it into practice, right? Like, as I understand it, 
using it to inform decisions that like transportation departments here in Maine and elsewhere are making. Talk a little bit about that work to like to, to, to ensure that your research, this research that people are doing is being used for decision-making. Yeah, it, it's a real goal of mine that any research I do is being done in a way that can be as quickly or as immediately applied to the conservation of the species I'm working with as possible. Because if not, I'm essentially wasting the time of these species. So what I've been doing is I have been bringing together this like round table, I guess, of uh, Maine DOT, Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, uh, Maine Audubon, and then a few other researchers from different universities where we are talking about all these different you know, things about amphibians and roads. Mm. So it was, I believe, last fall, I put together this list of about 30 sites around the state where we pretty firmly believe that a road crossing infrastructure piece would be very valuable. And that was based on like whether or not rare species are present, how many amphibians seem to be there, how many are being hit by cars, how much survey time has been there, uh, all sorts of different factors that we use to create this list. So that list includes sites all the way from like Lubeck all the way to a lot around Bangor and Orono, plenty in southern Maine as well, even one or two in western Maine. Mm, very cool. Well, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us. I didn't know if there's anything um, that you want to leave our listeners with, at, you know, after this this conversation, just to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. Just if you have any questions or want to follow us, please join us on Facebook. That tends to be the best place to stay up to date. Uh, otherwise, uh, please feel free to send us an email at mainbignight at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us on the podcast, Greg. I just love learning about your work, what amphibians are doing right now in Maine. I hope our listeners did too. Um, like Greg said, if you want to learn more about Maine Big Night, definitely check out their very active Facebook group. Email them. I think uh, I think I also saw there's some information on the web, right? Vernalpools.me slash big hyphen night. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Facebook and Gmail work too. Um, Greg, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, Colin, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, good luck this migration season. Um, and a big thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline, Frontline Voices. Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.